Good morning, everybody. We are closing out our series on glorifying God today, but that doesn't mean we are done. I'm actually going to give you things to do today. Shocking, right? Shocking that I would give you something to do. Um, so what we're going to do is talk about James. I sent you all the reading plan this week. I hope you were able to read the book. It's only five chapters. But about a year or two years ago, God had me in the book of James for 10 months. I could not get out of this book. It is my favorite book of the Bible. So get ready for Marcy to nerd out a little bit on James this morning. Um, I hope you were able to read it. It's one of the most practical books in the Bible we can find. And you guys are often coming to us saying, I hear you conceptually, but I need to know what, how to do that. Right? James tells you how to do it. There's no confusion in the way that he lays it out for us. So I love this book. James is um, thought to have been one of the first books written in the New Testament, even though you see it towards the end of the New Testament. It was thought to be one of the first books written. James was Jesus' brother. And so he witnessed all of that ministry with Jesus, and he knew once Jesus had ascended to heaven that there was going to be trial for the disciples and for the believers, right? And so James wrote this book to believers, and so it is directly to us. He's explaining to us how to live this life of glorifying God. He's explaining to us the way to take sort of abstract theology or concept and put it into our everyday life, every conversation, everywhere we walk, and I love that. One of the main things that James is doing here, and I want you to think about this for a minute, he is encouraging God's people to act like God's people. Right? Let's think about that for a second. I am sitting here on a Sunday morning, and I am a Christian, and I purport my faith in God, and then what do I do in every interaction, every conversation, right? Am I acting like God's people? So James is encouraging God's people to act like God's people. He's a servant. He has a servant heart in this book. And I love that idea of he's saying, here's how you serve the kingdom. Here's the things that you do. And you don't have to be a preacher. And you don't have to work for a nonprofit. And you don't have to do all these things. It's in the everyday interaction, the everyday life. And I love that part of this book. I love how James gives us no disclaimer. Nowhere in there does it say, do this only if you feel like it. Only if your circumstances allow. Only if the other person is doing what they need to do. There's no disclaimer in this book. So when you read James, you really just need to read it kind of separate and distinct from anybody else. It's just for you. James is just talking to you. He's just talking about what God needs you to do. And James really talks about this idea of faith. Right? He really tells us what it takes to activate faith, what it takes to walk in faith. Because faith must cause transformation in you. Faith is not an idea. It must cause a transformation in you. That's the whole point of it. And so how do we transform? We have to go into the Bible and look at these actions that God has told us to take, right, that Jesus preached about for, for years. What do we do? How does faith prompt us to seek God in the world? We listen, we study, and then we do, right? How do we then act? What would be said about your faith by others? What would be said about our faith by others through our life and actions? We have to think about that. It matters, right? Now, I'm not telling you to care what everybody thinks about everything. That's a whole different conversation. But do people see God in us? Do people see our faith in us? And that's what James is trying to tell us. The word has to change us. It has to be transformational in our life. If the word's taken root in you, the fruit will come off of you. There will be no choice. You will realize, wow, I am so gracious. This doesn't happen to me often, but sometimes it does. I'm so merciful. I can love the unlovable. And thank God they can love me, right? Because there's times you're unlovable too. Make no mistake, right? I can be in these situations that are hard, 
and I can stay there. And I can do the things that God wants me to do in that situation because it's okay, he has me. So let's see what James has to say about all of this. James knew the things that Jesus had taught, right? He was communicating them to provide tools for people to live out their faith because he knew it would be a difficult thing. He's writing to the believers. But I want to go back for just a second to Phil's sermon last week where we were in 2 Timothy because there's a verse there that I want to connect up to real quick as we, as we go through this series. So it's 2 Timothy 2.4. It talks about the battlefield, right? Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of, civ- of civilian life for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. So that statement makes total sense to me. I totally get that statement. Being a civilian is the hardest thing I do. But this idea of being on the battlefield, you are a soldier of God, and the world is in dire need of you to act like God's people. They are in dire need for a multitude of reasons. Your soul is in dire need of you acting like God's people, but the world is in dire need of that. So I've seen so much digging and hunger and power from you guys lately. It's been a little incredible. The phone calls, the emails, the discussions. It's been a little bit incredible. God's trying to get a hold of the people in this church. But he's not trying to get a hold of you for you. He's trying to get a hold of you to encourage you to be his people in the kingdom. To be his people in your workplaces and in your families and the places that, that you interact. But he knows that the life, this life of faith and serving God is hard. And we don't like hard. We get tired. We get worn out, right? Where's all the fun? And so James talks about it immediately when he opens the book of James, right? In James 1, he immediately says to us, count it all joy. Count it all joy. For the life of perseverance is what brings us maturity and brings us closer to God. Count it all joy. Not if you have trials. Not if something hard goes on. When? When? Because it will. He's not saying maybe in the distance is something to think about. He's saying focus on it. You will have trials. You will have things that you have to persevere through. And the, and the problem with us as Christians is that we lay down on the battlefield because we're tired, because we don't study the word, because we don't get the word into our souls and activate ourselves to do the things that God wants us to do. We lay down. And then what happens to the world? Because they look at us and we have lost our ability to persevere as God's people in his kingdom. We have to stay in the fight. You know, all the things that are going on around the world right now, as sad and and horrible as they are, are not new. They're not new, unfortunately. And they won't be the last time we encounter this stuff. And God knew that. He knew what the chaos would be to being a human what the chaos would be to living in this world. And so we have to persevere. We have to develop that perseverance. So let me explain to you all about this idea of everybody calls me and they're seeking this magic in their life. They're seeking this happiness. They're seeking this this settling and this peace, right? That magic you are seeking is in the work that you are avoiding. Hear me. The magic you are seeking is in the work you are avoiding. The work you're avoiding yourself and the work that you're avoiding in the world. It's there, right? It's produced a powerless faith. We, we want a costless Christianity, and a costless Christianity produces a powerless faith. I heard somebody say that in a sermon. I was like, yes, that's it, right? I was watching a documentary about refining silver. Don't judge me. This is what I do. And I was watching this documentary about refining silver, and and then I started to go back to the Bible and look at it. And Malachi 3 and Psalm talk about that. So Malachi 3 tells us 
that he will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. You have to be in the fire to be refined. You have to have the perseverance to stay in the fire so God can refine you. And the way that silver is refined in the fire is the impurities are burnt away. And the silversmith pulls it out and he looks at it and then he says, nope, got to go back in. And then he burns away more impurity off of that silver and he brings it back out and he looks at it and then he puts it back in. And do you know when he knows the silver is refined? When he can see his image in the silver. How does God know when you are refined? When he can see his image in you. Are you reflecting the image of God? And the image of God has perseverance and joy in the trial and is able to stay in the fight. In Psalms, it brings us back to that same idea. Um, in, the, in Psalm 12, 12, 6. Can you put that up for me, Sarah? Psalm 12, 6 comes back to that same idea. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. And he refines the silver. He has taken, he's taken the king and he, and he refines that place. We've got to think about the idea of refining. Are we allowing God to teach us in all of our circumstances? Or will I accept the teaching from God when the circumstance is comfortable, and when it's not comfortable, I'm off on my own trying to figure out how I get out of the circumstance instead of worrying about what God's trying to teach me. Where is he refining me? Where is the perseverance? We have to gain some ability to stay in the uncomfortable, to stay in. In the, in the painful, to stay in those places because God can't refine us. We actually ought to be, as James puts it, asking to be put in the fire, right? And you're thinking, uh, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to ask to be put in the fire. I got enough of it without asking for it. We ought to be finding opportunity to be put in the fire because that's where you're refined. That's where, where he's able to burn off the impurities. Are we intentional about persevering so we can be refined? Do we even think about that as we're, as we're going through, right? As we're refined, we become active, right? The silver then becomes the, the thing that can meet its purpose, right? So if we're not refined, we can't do that. When I've got all the impurities, it's hard for God to get to me. It's hard for other people to get to me. Jesus tells us through James that this is how we activate our faith. We have to go in the fire. No fire will produce a very weak faith. It's just a fact. Everywhere you look in the Bible, there's fire, right? The refining has a purpose. And as you gain victory, then you have to move on with that purpose. You bring that victory out and that purpose out. Let's go to, to chapter 3 real quick. You know, we could preach a... 15-week sermon series on James, but I want to talk to you about chapter 3 real quick because this is something we all need to know. When we're in the fire, when the circumstances are what we want, guess what happens? We start running this thing, right? We start running our mouth. Are we running our mouth to glorify God or are we running our mouth to take care of ourselves? And so in James 3, the whole chapter is about controlling your tongue, but James 3, 2 talks about this idea of we all make many mistakes, but if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and control ourselves in every other way. As we are in the fire, as we are in the perseverance, we have to control our tongue. We have to control the things that we say to ourselves and to others. What you speak into this world matters. Every single time you open your mouth, it matters. Every single time you have an internal dialogue with yourself, it matters. You are speaking truth in life or you are speaking death. And there's no gray area. That's it. You are speaking truth in life or you are speaking death. And we have to know that. We have to think about that. Remember, Jesus was a man of few words. 
We always think we've got to have a 12-hour conversation about our problems. Jesus said, here's what you do. It's not confusing. Here's what you do. And James is so good at wrapping that up for us in his book and telling us this is what you do. Chapter 3 is a toolkit. If you have a problem and you need to know how you're going to respond, just go to chapter 3. If you can't, go to chapter 3 and realize that your mouth is one of the biggest weapons you have and you can't say something that's going to glorify God, James would tell you to shut up. Just shut up. We are educated beyond our usefulness. Let me give you my educated opinion. Let me tell you what I think you should do. Let me put myself into that instead of just going to the Bible and saying, what did Jesus say to do? Jesus said, glorify God or shut up. And if you're, we're humans and we have frailty in that, but if we can't glorify God, then just be quiet until you can. Go back and intentionally think about what is the value of what I'm going to say? What is the value to the kingdom as I persevere through trials and other people persevere through trials? What's the value of what I'm going to say? On the battlefield, I had every weapon at my disposal, every weapon there was, but the biggest weapon you walk around with every day is this. And it's a weapon for good, which sounds counterintuitive, but it is, right? Because this can back the devil off quicker than anything. Or it can usher him in and hand over the situation to him. Either way, and you got to think about it every time you open your mouth. And usually when we make the mistake with this is when we're in the trial, when we're trying to persevere, when it's getting hard. All of us are lovely and gracious when everything's great, right? I'm not talking about that. James wasn't talking about that. He was saying count it all joy when you have a perseverance in a trial, but you got to think about what you're doing with this because this is what matters, Think about how many words you speak every day. Are you worried about whether those words glorify God or not? One of the places James does tell us to use our mouth is the idea of confession. There are so many really important things we need to speak. So many really important things we need to speak. And James talked to us about this idea of confession, that speech through confession and realignment with God is critical and important. He knows that we're flawed, and he directs us to a place to clean that out. He knows that we're flawed. Chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, talks to us about this in James. And like I said, there's five chapters, and we can go on and on and on. But chapter 5, verse 13, did I put that on there, Sarah? You have it? I'm sorry, I can't, I didn't even look. Are any of you suffering hardships? Yes, you should pray. Are any of you happy? Yes. You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well, and you, any of your sins that you've committed, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces great results your faith needs to produce life change. It can't just be a great idea. And the only way to produce life change is to get in that yuck and dig it out. When I was in the Army, we used to have this thing called sock check. We'd line everybody up on the bleachers and say, get your boots off and take your socks off and let us look. And everybody had these big old yucky blisters. Don't, don't get grossed out. Nobody's eating breakfast, right? Don't get grossed out. And you know what we did? We took a knife. And we just went down those bleachers and cut all those blisters open. Do not try this at home. I'm going to explain to you why we did it in a minute. It's not something you should do at home. Every doctor's like, no, right? Because we didn't exactly sanitize the knife, but that's not the point. Here's the point. We cut that blister open because you know what that blister has in it? Gunk. And you know what that blister's keeping you from doing? What your mission is. 
And every one of you is walking around with a blister that hasn't been punctured. And what happens when you retain that gunk? It hurts you and everybody else bounces off of it. Right? So when I come to you to get some God, I get the blister because it's in the way. There's gunk sitting there because you haven't sliced that thing open and gotten it out. And one of the ways that James tells us that Jesus taught was to confess. That's how you get that gunk out. That's how you, that's how you get that thing cleaned out. And you have to. You have to clean it out. Because guess what? Then that blister develops another blister, right? Because that one's formed, and so then one has to form somewhere else, and one has to form somewhere else. And after a while, instead of glorifying God and getting after the things he wants, all we're doing is trying to treat the blister. And James is saying, count it all joy. Get that thing gone. Cut that thing open and drain it out, and let's get it gone so you can then move on. God can have more capacity, more access to you, more space to you. So you got to think about what gunk you're carrying around. Some of us are comfortable with the blister. Right? Some of us are like, I'm good. I've had that blister for a long time. It's okay. It's not okay. And James tells us that the, one of the ways that we get rid of that stuff is through confession. We have community. We pray with each other. We sit with each other. We open those places up. We get the, the medicine in. Who's the medicine? Jesus. The word of God is the medicine. That's what we have to get in those places. But we're so comfortable with the blister that we don't do that. So we've got to open those places up. You can let it fester and affect everyone else with it. Or we can get rid of it and let that area be refined. Because I guarantee you part of your gifting is sitting behind the drained blister, as gross as that sounds, right? Part of your gifting is sitting there. Once you drain that, you gain some victory in that area, God's going to use it. He's going to bring you out of that refining process and say, now I see my image in you because you went through something. And we drain that thing out and you confessed it and you've been forgiven and we're moving on. James is talking about how do I live in the image of Jesus, and it takes work. It takes work. People call me all the time, say, man, I really want to hear from God. I really want to live in the image of God. Man, there's some work to that. Then they, then they hang up. I'm kidding. They don't. There's work, right? James is talking about the idea of work, but it's the best kind of work that you're going to do. That means I'm done. It's the best kind of work. You're, I know everybody's like, yes. It's the best kind of work. She's talking about blisters, and I need her to shut up. Right? It's the best kind of work that you can do. So is the way you are living bringing glory to God? Even, is it even in the forefront of your mind? Are you even thinking about it? Are you thinking that the trial might be the most important thing that's going on in your life right now? It might be the place where God's trying to teach you the most. Or is it just the thing you're trying to get away from? I need out of the trial. I can't stand it. I need away from it. Or are you actually thinking, count it joy, God's trying to do something here. He's trying to refine, he's trying to burn an an impurity off of me. And while I may need help with that, I may need my community group to come around me. I may need people to pray over me, that's okay. You don't have to sit in it by yourself, but don't always run from it. If we pull the silver out of the fire too quick, it loses all usefulness. And then guess what? It just gets thrown in the pile. And nobody's getting any benefit from it at all. you got to stay in the fire long enough for God to be able to use you. We have to be intentional and build our endurance. We have to bring glory to God with our words, the way you speak to yourself and the way you speak to others. It's one of the most important tools you have. That's why James wrote an entire chapter on it. You have to bring glory to God with your words. Then we have to confess and clean out the gunk. I encourage you to read the book of James one chapter at a time. One chapter at a time. 
and pray and sit with God and let him reveal to you in that chapter everything that he wants to tell you. Because I couldn't even touch on James this morning. It's so dense with wisdom. It's so dense with tools for you. You got to go back and read it one chapter at a time and go, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to tell me? And then when you're willing, share it. Because what he might be revealing to you might be really helpful to somebody else, right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for allowing us to talk about the book of James this morning. Thank you for allowing us to talk about trials in a way that brings joy and peace to us because we realize that the trials is from you sometimes, that you're refining us, that you actually want us to stand in that place so that you can burn off the things that the world has put on us that we were never intended to carry. You're so gracious to us. It's an amazing thing to read part of your word and realize that what seems like the hardest thing to us is actually the biggest gift you could give us. That you care enough about us to have the hard things in our life and to stand right next to us and to realize that those are the places when we get to experience you the most. Those are the places where we can bring the kingdom of God out to other people the most. Lord, thank you for requiring us to act like your people. Thank you for requiring us to consider what that is in our lives requiring us to go out into this world and bring your heaven to earth. Lord, as we go into response now, I ask for your word and your, your presence to be heavy on each of us, that you would give each of us our individual revelation this morning. Where do you want to speak to us? What do we have holding space that isn't supposed to be there? How can we leave this room today lighter? How can we re- leave this room today with more capacity for you? ask for your voice to be loud and the spirit to be heavy in this room this morning. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.